Well, sure, I'm Ken Lee from Enron. But for the purposes of my entrepreneurial pursuit, I'm calling myself Billy Bob Joe. And instead of Enron, I'm making up a company name called Jackson Electric. That's totally not fraud. Hey, everybody, how you doing? It's Mr. Manger. And I wanted to talk today about Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse is in the news as of late. Of course, I'm referring to the special privileges being revoked by Florida's legislature and signed into law by Governor Ron DeSantis. So... In my own political journey over the past couple of years, especially due to the COVID uh, madness, I became convinced of this. I became convinced that a badly needed, liberty-oriented populist movement can best be grown by abolishing special privileges and state favoritism. I also became convinced that, sadly, too many libertarians and classical liberal types have weak spots, inconsistencies, and a fetish for corporate apologetics when that is the benchmark. And, I mean, honestly, what is all this fence-sitting getting you? You know, if you're idealistically, say, you know, in the anarcho-capitalist world, okay, great, um... You have ostensibly some good principles, <laughs> but I'm sorry, you're gonna be you're gonna be left out of the conversation, you know, by the vice of having something that just isn't palatable, and there really isn't a red button in the room. So even if you want to cling to that, you've got to have something to fall back on. Now. There's some admittedly clever analogies that are often employed to justify this one state favored company getting a special tax break. In this case, it's Disney. And for quite some time, I was convinced that starving the state and shoveling that revenue back into the private sector, you know, we say the uh, private sector in the aggregate, but I was convinced that, you know, even if it goes back somewhere in the private sector, it has its justifications. That being, it's not going in the rat hole of the treasury where politicians are going to just squander it. And part of me still wrestles with that a little bit. But at the same time, let's look at this. If the company is already favored by the state, it's going to expand that power center and its competitors become yet a weaker check on its chokehold. So we're not just talking about these Johnny do-gooder types who are uh, you know, just trying to make a profit, you know, as if there's nothing else going on. It must be stressed that the state has zero interest in expanding these privileges to a broader range of companies.
So this argument, you know, that they should just be expanded, I got news for you. That resides in a pipe dream of your idealism blind to practical reality if you're advancing that kind of argument. Libertarians who make this argument lose moral standing when they offer lip service about the excesses of corporate influence that no doubt eats away at government's budget. But they become part of the problem when they favor policies that signal an approval and an invitation to gobble away at that public trough. A state-favored company matters a great deal when the said company establishes a major investment in asserting its political influence in return to embrace the relief of one party receiving such a break out of an ideological zeal blinds you from considering its long-term consequences. A symbiotic relationship with the powers that will grow its arms and its legs and reinforce an artificial disadvantage for its competition. That's what this is. And for decades, Disney served as a pervasive example of all of this. Now, after hearing the analogies supposedly arguing that less theft, in air quotes, was a good thing, even if it actually means an upward redistribution of wealth in practice, I figured there might be a better illustration to consider. So here's mine. If there's 10 wrongfully convicted people on death row and one of them gets set free, how long should the other nine just stand up and cheer? It ultimately does nothing for the rest just because one of them got a lucky break. They're still paying the full price for a crime they didn't commit. Now, there's been some uh, interesting articles that have gotten on my radar. This first one comes from James Rufus Corrin, uh, and I found it in the LA Times, and it's dated April 9th, 2016. So here's a piece of that. In the mid-1960s, when the company, Disney, was looking to buy tens of thousands of acres of land in Florida for its Disney World Resort, the company made the purchases using several shell companies with names such as Latin American Development and Management Corp, Tomahawk Properties, and MT Lot Co. The idea was that if property owners knew Disney was interested in their land, they might hold out for a far higher price, said author David Koenig. There are dozens of landowners, and as soon as someone heard that Disney bought Lot 1, they knew the price on Lots 2 through 50 would go through the roof, Koenig said. It had to appear as if it were just a coincidence that there were 10 different companies buying land in the same area. So, when you're looking for a job, you know, you expect a background check because a company looking to purchase your labor wants to know about your history. If you misrepresent your employment history, they have lawful authority to press charges. You could literally end up in jail for something like that.
Now, if a former Enron executive were to misrepresent his history and the company he represents, and even do so with a fake name, why shouldn't the same happen to him? That's essentially what Walt Disney did. So another great article came from Ryan McMakin at the Mises Institute. This one's called Disney's Corporate Welfare is Modern Mercantilism, dated April 22 of this year, 2022. So he says, The impending change in status comes after senior Disney representatives repeatedly criticized the Florida GOP, currently the ruling party in the state, for legislation unrelated to Disney's business dealings. Now here I just want to interject, because you're already saying, well, okay, so what? Don't you have a right to criticize what your legislature is doing, your state legislature? Well, as an individual, sure, but these senior Disney representatives were not speaking as individuals. They're speaking on behalf of the Disney Corporation. It would therefore be a mistake to conflate speech on behalf of an artificial entity with the lawfully protected natural right of a natural person to voice a personal opinion. So I'm not going to be able to read every little bit of the McMakin article I wanted to because there's just so much meat packed in it. I'm, I really want you to read it for yourself. I'll leave it on the show notes page. Um, however, I have some material summarized for this purpose. Okay, so McMakin says, Disney was receiving special privileges denied even to Disney's direct competitors, such as Universal, SeaWorld, and Legoland, which have not been granted, nor are they likely to be granted their own special districts. In the past, Disney's special status was shielded from political dangers, as Disney has famously showered politicians in the state with gifts, campaign cash, and other types of special favors that normal people would identify as bribes. McMakin points out also that this is not about efficiency or private property. He goes on to say, The kings of old also granted special monopolies and favors to special interests in order to solidify what we today call public-private partnerships, in air quotes. These arrangements helped to win over key allies for the regime among the wealthy elites. He points out that Disney's public-private partnership excludes their competition and applies to a single corporation. It's impossible to know how many other entertainment venues and private owners might have also existed had Disney not sucked all the air out of the local market with its special deal. So go ahead and check out my show notes page. It's on Substack. And you've really got to read that whole article. It is fantastic. And I would say spot on. So this giveaway to Disney was not a blow for liberty, I would say. It's an assault on market entry. And the lessons of seen and unseen from Frederick Bastiat, they're up in smoke when this kind of giveaway is embraced. As is the two-part lesson 
from Henry Hazlitt. That is, to stop looking at only the direct beneficiary of a public policy and look at the economy as a whole, and also to stop looking only at the short term, but also its long-term effects. Well, that's going to do it today. I'd like to go ahead and thank you for joining me. Please share, like, and subscribe. And also check out my MeWe group. We'd love to have you. Love to have some rational discourse and poke a little fun and enjoy a little chaos. Thanks again.